0: Thank you for your word, thank you for your spirit who takes what is yours and uh, teaches us and sinks these truths into our heart. Uh, Please come, be our uh, wonderful, uh, welcomed, invited guest this evening. Come, be present with us, Uh, teach us and remind us of all these things, uh, please, so that we might become more like our Savior who first loved us. We thank you and pray for it all, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yeah, the copy machine developed a mind. So usually, you know, I think, well, no, I'm not going there. The copy machine didn't do its right thing. Anyway, what are we going to do? Get a magnifying glass uh, if, if you need one. Okay, 1 Samuel, 8 through 15, we're going to start Saul. Last week we did Samuel, a little boy Samuel, who grows up, and we saw the comparison and the contrast between Samuel and Eli. This week, we're going to not see so much Samuel, we're going to see a lot of Saul, and uh, a very interesting story here with a great, great lesson. So here's how I want to start. Back at the rocket factory, there was a wonderful young Christian woman and she started uh, dating a guy and after several months, she came and asked a few of us what we thought of this young man. And... I can't remember what the other people asked her by way of question, but I said, is, is he a Christ follower? Because you are. Is he a Christ follower? Well, no. No, he's not. But he might become one if, if I would continue to date him. And so we counseled her very kindly, um very sincerely, very humbly. We just said, we don't think this is wise. We think you should break this off. So about a month goes by, and uh, she really had committed to pray, and uh, she came back one day and said, well, that was really hard, but I broke it off. I said, oh my gosh, so hard, so proud of you. Good job. Two or three months later, he had a Miraculous conversion. Uh, The wedding was back on. They got married. Uh, And after about, I don't recall exactly, but after about another six months, uh, he told her one day, he said, you know, this whole church thing, great for you. Go for it. I don't, it's not really for me. Um, and kind of dropped out, dropped off the scene. Of course, that devastated her. First time I've ever encountered the lesson that we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to introduce it to you in a second with that story. First Samuel, the word I've put on First Samuel is monarchy. Because we're instituting the monarchy. They came out of Egypt. They went through the period of the judges. Samuel was the last judge. And Saul is the first king. And so really the book of Samuel, first and second Samuel, is about the kings. It's about the monarchy. So first Samuel is monarchy. The book of of Samuel is a book of transition from no king, where they went through various judges... To our king. Please notice the quotes around our. This is our king. That's the book of 1 Samuel, and 2 Samuel then is God's king, and that's King David. Here's the point. Israel has her heart set on having a king. She mistakenly believes her oppression is due to no king and no army rather than her own unbelief and disobedience. So God must correct her thinking and gain her repentance through discipline. Here's the lesson for the people of Israel. Many times, the greatest discipline God gives his people is giving them what they ask for. first time I'd ever seen this lesson in practice in my lifetime was with this young woman. Sometimes the greatest discipline God gives his people is giving them what they ask for. Some of you read these chapters and you're confused. This is the answer. God is using Saul to discipline his people because his king is still a half a book away. His king, David, remember he says these, at the end chapters when he basically says, Saul, I'm taking it away from you, he said, there's already a man and he's better than you. Oh my gosh. This is God doing his good, sovereign work. Many times, the greatest discipline God gives his people is giving them what they ask for. This is what I call the Burger King moment. Have it your way. Have it your way. If this is what your heart is set on, I'll give it to you. Let me know how that works for you. Chapter 8 Israel wants a human king. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Gosh, just right to the point. (laughs) Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Watch this. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting Not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. What might have been in Samuel's mind right now? That he would become king. And the Lord says, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. So Samuel tells them what a king is going to do. And he, uh, he, <laughs> he lays it right out there. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. If you knew Hebrew, it says Burger King right there. (laughs) Have it your way. Israel... Why do you want a king? Because we want to be like all the other nations around us. They're fearful of the Ammonites from chapter 12. They're envious of other nations. God says they've already rejected him. They reject Samuel and his sons. They reject Samuel's counsel. They're stubborn, insistent fearful, envious, and unteachable. So, God gives them what they ask for. Give them a king. Who does God pick? He gives them Saul. And in chapters 9 and 10, we get the story of how that all came to pass. There's a wealthy, influential man named Kish... He has a son named Saul. One day his donkeys go away. He tells Saul, go find them. They do. Before, they've just about given up. Uh, But the servant said, verse 6, I've just thought of something. There's a man of God who lives here in this town. He's held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go to find the donkeys. Well, we don't have anything to offer him. Saul said, well, the servant said, I got one little piece of silver. Let's see what happens. So they go to the town and they ask for for, uh, Samuel. So they go there as they're climbing the hill. As luck would have it, there is Samuel. And God has told Samuel, there's a guy coming and that's my guy. And so feed him dinner. That's basically what happens. So they feed him dinner. Saul is, what is happening here? Um, Let's see, takes him up to the roof of the house. The next day, verse 26, at daybreak the next morning, Samuel called Saul, get up, it's time you're on your way. So Saul got ready and he and Samuel left the house together. When they reached the edge of town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant on ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, stay here. For I have received a a special message for you from God. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. And then he tells him these things. When you leave me today, you'll see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He is asking, have you seen my son? Well, okay. <laughs> when you get to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be bringing three young goats, another will have three loaves of bread, and the third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. They will greet you and offer you two of the loaves, which you are to accept. Sounds kind of like a puzzle or something. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. Ah. (laughs) As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And they go through this thing and they go, what, is Saul now a prophet? And all this kind of, Crazy stuff, and he doesn't. He, he tells his uncle some of the stuff, but not all of the stuff. Later, Samuel calls all the people to meet, and they meet, and they chose uh, Saul by lots, and then they can't find him. And they ask the Lord where he is, and he says, He's hiding among the baggage. This is crazy. Here's Saul hiding in the baggage. Uh, then Samuel said, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. <laughs> and all the people shouted, long live the king. I mean, is this, this is sort of funny, kind of? It's kind of sad, it's kind of funny. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of a king were. He wrote them all down on a scroll and placed it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home. When Saul returned to his home, a group of men went with him, whose hearts God had touched, And then there are some uh, scoundrels that they want to kill. That'll happen a little bit later. And then we're given a little foreshadowing about the Ammonites, um, who've gouged out all the right eyes of the Israelites living on the east side of the Jordan River. And you say, what? So if you're right-handed, what hand do you hold your shield? On the left, you only have one eye to see to fight. What eye is that? Your right eye. If I gouge out your right eye and you're right-handed, you can't fight. So I haven't completely blinded you, but I've made you so that you can't fight a war. You can't go to battle anymore, okay? Because you're holding your shield up here. You've got a right eye. You're poking yourself because you can't see anything. So chapter, 10, uh, chapter 9, chapter 10... Is the uh, calling, setting apart of Saul. So God gives them Saul, his family, and appearance. He's faithful and sensitive to his father, but he lacks spiritual sensitivity, not knowing what all Israel knew that Samuel is just five miles away. He's ready to go home. Who reminds him that somebody is around who can help? The servant. Saul's biggest problem is he would rather appear than be. To appear was more important to Saul than to be. But God appointed him. Samuel anoints him, and this is God's selection. So he gives them Saul. He also gives him three signs to encourage him. That's what those little puzzles were. First, God is able to solve your problems. Remember, he said, The donkey's already found. I'm able to solve your problems, Saul. Second, right, we got the thing about bread. God is able to meet your needs. Third, when you get to the guys prophesying, the Spirit of the Lord's going to come powerfully on you. I am able to empower you for my service. That's the meaning of those three little things are. I can solve your problems, I can meet your needs, and I'll empower you for my service. Okay, Saul? Verse or Chapters 11 and 12. Saul then goes and defeats the Ammonites. Remember they were going to go wipe out uh, Jabesh Gilead, and they were going to poke their right eye out, and uh, Saul gets angry, and he goes in and um, puts the herd on him. And so they renew the kingdom at Gilgal at the end of chapter 11. Chapter 12. Samuel addresses all Israel, and he basically knows he's finished. Uh, And verse 3 is what he's interested in. Now testify against me in the presence of the Lord and before his anointed one, whose ox or donkey have I stolen? Have I ever cheated any of you? Have I ever oppressed you? Have I ever taken a bribe and perverted justice? Tell me and I will make right whatever I've done wrong. No, they replied, you have never cheated or oppressed us and you have never taken even a single bribe. The Lord and his anointed one are my witnesses today, Samuel declared, that my hands are clean. Yes, he is a witness, they replied. And then he tells them about what God has done for them since he brought them out of Egypt. And he goes on through chapter 12. Uh, let's see. Let's see, 16, 12, 16. Now stand here and see the great thing the Lord is about to do. You know that it does not rain at this time of the year during the wheat harvest. I will ask the Lord to send thunder and rain today. Then you will realize... How wicked you have been in asking the Lord for a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people were terrified of the Lord and of Samuel. Pray to the Lord your God for us, or we will die, they all said to Samuel. For now we have added to our sins by asking for a king. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done wrong, but make sure now that you worship the Lord with all your heart, and don't turn your back on him. And he reminds them again. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And I will continue to teach you what is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of all the wonderful things he has done for you. But if you continue to sin, and you and your king will be swept away. So he gives them Saul. Saul goes out in chapters 11 and 12, and he wins some victories. He wins over the Ammonites, and he wins over some others in chapter 14. Um, Around, let's see, Gibeah and some Philistines. Yeah. So he defeats some others. Samuel comes along then and says, You agree that I have acted with integrity? You have sinned in asking for a king? Your future will turn on your faithfulness and the faithfulness of your king to God. Obedience will bring blessing and disobedience will bring discipline. That's what he's telling him. Saul won some battles. Beginning in 13... He uh, starts fighting with the Philistines. Let's see. Um, mm Oh, this is horrible. 13, beginning at the end of verse 7. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear, because the Philistines have amassed a humongous army to come fight him. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. This wasn't good, Saul. Just as Saul was finishing the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. (laughs) Oh, that's got to hurt. Saul went out to meet and welcome him, but Samuel said, "'What is this you have done?' Saul replied, "'I saw my men scattering from me, "'and you didn't arrive when you said you would, "'and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for the battle.' So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. 600 guys, stay there. Jonathan. Love Jonathan, what a great study Jonathan is. Jonathan has such great faith. He goes fight and fights at Philistines. They begin to scatter all over. Saul's men see what's happening and they go out and uh, they try to or they uh, uh, attack also. But Saul has said, "Hey, nobody eat anything that day. And Jonathan doesn't hear it and dips his staff in the honeycomb and has just a little bit of honey, they have a decisive victory, uh, but the men are so hungry when they come back, they're just basically eating raw meat, which they weren't supposed to do with the blood still in it, and so Saul decides to ask God, hey, uh, let's destroy, let's chase these guys until we over, you know, until we erase every last one of them, and the priest says, let's ask God first, so they do, and God won't reply, And so then they single out Jonathan. And Jonathan says, yeah, I taste a little bit of honey. Does that deserve death? Verse 44. Yes, Jonathan, Saul said, you must die. May God strike me and even kill me if you do not die for this. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) What? What? But the people break in, and they say to Saul, Jonathan has won this great victory for Israel. Should he die? Far from it. As surely as the Lord lives, not one hair on his head will be touched, for God helped him do a great deed today. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. And Saul calls all the army back. He fights on every front. And then we get to the Amalekites. Chapter 15. One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. So Saul mobilizes his army. They go in and they capture the king. And they keep all the best stuff. Saul brings it back. Samuel arrives. Verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle, I hear? Samuel demanded. it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag. Okay, there's one. But I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, great principle. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul pleads with Samuel, at least come with me so I can worship. Samuel agrees and goes. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope, for he thought, Surely the worst is over, and I have been spared. But Samuel said, As your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. Saul won some battles, but he lost the war. How does Jonathan achieve victory? Through faith, courage in the Lord. He steps out with he and his armor bearer. And God uses that faith and that courage to rout the Philistines. Saul, Philistines, he doesn't rout them. The Amalekites, he doesn't obey. And we learn from this comparison that God honors great faith, not great pretense. Saul doesn't have the depth of spiritual character to walk with God in obedient faith. He's the leader they deserved, not the one they needed. Israel got what they asked for. Not a man after God's heart, but a prideful man. A disobedient man who walked more by sight than by faith. A man with a rash tongue. A man striving to make a name for himself. Remember the one time he's setting up a statue to himself in that one city? If you read the chapters. What? He's a dishonest man. He's a people-pleasing man. He's a man who cares more about looking right before men than being right before God. A king who will pursue murder in order to hold his throne, in quotes, and his power, in quotes. He's willing to murder his own son. Foreshadowing... And he's a king who will eventually even seek out a witch, desperate to hear from God once more. Israel got what they asked for. A king who projected more competence for leadership than his character could deliver. A king who'd use others to build up his own authority rather than using his authority to build up others a king who would add to Israel's oppression from without by oppression from within, rather than giving her rest. Saul was definitely not the king Israel needed, but God gave her what they deserved. Many times, the greatest discipline God gives us is giving us what we ask for. Back at the rocket factory, there was a a year that um, I came in with a group of folks, a group of other guys, and uh, that particular year, the one guy that I ran around with most, uh, he was promoted to senior engineer. Well, I was kind of hacked about that, And so I went and complained to a couple of different people. And um, I didn't really complain. I just suggested it wasn't fair. (laughs) And so they promoted me to senior engineer. When it came time for layoffs, first, my program got canceled. Second, they had too many senior engineers to keep. Bill learned the lesson, sometimes the greatest discipline God can give you is giving you what you ask for. Bill, is that what you want? It's what I want, Lord, it's what I want. Have it your way, have it your way. Greatest thing he's ever done for me. But did I learn a lesson? Yes, I did. Many times, the greatest discipline God gives us is giving us what we ask for. Question, what are you asking God for? What's your heart set on these days? Is there a stubbornness or insistence about it? Is there fear from what you see around you? Is there envy over what you don't have? Are you no longer receptive to those you should be listening to? Are you acting with spiritual pretense? If so, then God may give you what you ask for. It's nothing to be feared, God's discipline. It is only for our good to train us in holiness. I've concluded many, many years ago, whatever road I take, there are lessons for me to learn down either road. (laughs) The road I think is, whoa, I don't want to do that road. (laughs) If I go down that road, the Lord teaches me lessons. If I go, this is a road I'd really rather have, guess what? Lessons down this road. I don't know what those lessons are. Either way, I am not who I need to be yet. Therefore, God has lessons specially prepared for me. But one of the lessons He needed to teach me, maybe one of the lessons He needs to teach you, is in what you're asking Him for. And He may give you what you ask for to discipline you and get you to think differently. The point of God's discipline is always repentance, meaning you're going in one direction. He wants you to turn and go in the opposite direction. He always wants to teach you of dependence on him. Always. If you're asking for something that will make you more independent of him, he may give that to you so you learn that's not what you want. You don't want more independence from Him. You want more dependence on Him. This is a great one. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Right? A fruit of the Spirit. This is a good thing. People say, don't pray for patience. Why? Do you think God's going to whack you because you've asked for the fruit of His Spirit? Bill, I'll teach you patience, Bill. <laughs> That's not our God. He wants me to have patience. Why? Because he is patient. So very patient. Compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You're going to continue to see throughout the Old Testament, if I were God, poo I would have sent these people packing off the earth, not him. What is he moved by if you read these chapters? Why is he sending them a king? It says in there, because I see how my people are suffering and I have mercy on them. This is who he is. God is patient. And when he disciplines us, it's because he wants us to slow down. Oh, I hate those two words, especially together. Slow down. And if you're a good American, so do you. God always needs to teach us about repentance. He needs to teach us about dependence on him. He needs to teach us about patience. Why? Because of worship. Remember what he says at the end of chapter 14? Uh, beginning in the end of 33, uh, the rain and the thunder have just come. No, no, no. Um, mm, 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 mm. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rain and thunder have just come. Sorry. End of 20, chapter 12, verse 20. Don't be afraid, Samuel reassured them. You have certainly done wrong. So what do you need to do? Repent. You've done wrong. You need to repent. But make sure now that you worship God. The Lord. What is the point of you turning the other way? What is the point of you learning dependence on Him? What is the point of you learning patience so that you worship Him? Trusting, following, praising, and in quotes, proving His goodness in your own experience. Why? Because you will testify. About it. Did I deserve what I got from the rocket factory? In a certain way, no. In a certain way, yes. God used that discipline to change my life and Laurie's life and the trajectory of our family. What I have now, I could have never asked Him for or imagined. It is so much better. How did he start that? Through discipline to result in worship. I worship you, Lord, for your discipline because it was so kind and so good and had such a a great fruit for me and for my life. The point of God's discipline isn't just to make us feel sorry. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Lord, I'll never do that again. (laughs) No, Repentance, dependence, patience, and worship. Ultimately, the point of God's discipline is to seek and desire His will for my life more than I desire my own will for my life. Jesus is in the garden, yes? Father, if it is possible... Take this cup from me. But if it is not possible, your will, not mine. Jesus already knew this lesson. One I have to keep learning over and over and over. Are you a my will person or a thy will person? The point of God's discipline, repentance, dependence, patience, worship, Ultimately, Daddy, not my will, but yours. Your will for my life is so much better. I am testifying to you now as if in a court of law. I could not, I didn't even know this existed. And God in his kindness gave it to me. I wouldn't have known 40 years ago how to pray for this. It was so, not even on my radar screen. What he's given me is beyond anything I could have asked him for or even imagined existed. And yet, out of his love and kindness for me, not because I'm special, out of his love and kindness for me, he's given it to me. And I hope more. (laughs) And he has done and will do the same for you. to seek and desire his will for my life more than I desire my own will for my life. You say, well then, what should I ever pray for? We're told to pray. Here are some things that God will grant. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, bottom line of Colossians 3, 1 through 4, set your heart on things above. What are those things? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Remember Ephesians 1.3. Remember in this class, you're not allowed to forget anything. It'll all be on the final. Ephesians 1.3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Galatians 5.22 and 23. Fruit of the Spirit. Does God, He's already given it to you. Does He want you to have it? Does He want it to be manifested in your life? Say yes. Nod your head. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Does He want you to have it? He wants you to have it. Will He answer that prayer? Of course he will. Will it be on your time and in your way? Probably not. But he will answer it such that you will see it. And what will you do when you see it? Worship him. Because the only two people who knew about it were you and him. And he says, hey, Bill, remember that prayer? Yes, Lord, I remember that prayer. That was a long time ago. I didn't forget. How about that? And there he is with a smile on his face, giving it to me. (laughs) Amazing, this God who saves us and loves us and does good, unbelievably good things to us and for us. Set your heart on things above. Here's a great one. Psalm 119. Turn to the right a little bit. Psalm 119, it's a great psalm for you to read, longest chapter in the Bible, I love particularly verses 33 through 40, it's it's called a a strophe, it's a, a little paragraph, so Psalm 119, just about in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 119, verse 33, "'Teach me your decrees, O Lord,' I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. These are things God will answer. Requests he will grant. Just a few from from this little paragraph in Psalm 119. He will give you true fulfillment and happiness. He will give you worthy goals. He will give you reassurance. He will answer your request for holiness and for renewal. Set your heart on things above. These are the things he will grant you. Sometimes, the greatest discipline God can give us is giving us what we ask for. But these are requests I don't believe he will ever say no to. Maybe not in your time. Maybe not in your way. But these are requests that I believe he will say yes and amen to. For next time, which is, reminder, September 8th, you get two weeks off. Don't forget about us. Come back. Read 1 Samuel 16 and 17. Just two chapters, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. And we'll go through those the next time. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Saul. It says you gave him a new heart, so I expect that I will see him uh, in heaven. Uh, Thank you for recording his life and instructing me in those ways that he did things well and right and for giving us eyes to see those things um, that he didn't do so well and he didn't do right, that I would benefit from seeing his life uh, for its goods and for its bads. Lord, you know so many times I more resemble Saul than I do David. So thank you for your great loving kindness toward me and your patience. We love you. We want you to grant our requests. Continue to help us to pray rightly with the right spirit of not my will, but thy will, knowing and trusting that you are going to do something beyond what I could ask for or imagine because you're good. We love you and we thank you. We thank you this evening. We pray for your presence with us in the next couple of weeks. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters sitting out here. They wouldn't just feel a sense of your presence, but a sense of your pleasure in them over these next couple or three weeks. Thank you. We love you. And we pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.